From Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. everyone welcome back to this show in search of sauce i am your host today mickey hellerback i am of course a writer and podcaster for central sauce i also did some artist relations coordination for our sauce fest way back when that was uh i'm excited to be back on the podcast after not being here the last i believe two or three shows and having fomo about some of the conversations Um, I'm really very excited about the pieces that we have um, brought today, me and my co-host, who is Tyler Jones. Tyler uh, is also, of course, a writer and podcaster for Central Sauce. (laughs) He's saying what's good, everybody. Uh, And he is also an immaculate poet himself. So, uh, yeah, Tyler. What's up, man? How's everything going? Uh, what you been getting into? Uh, life is good, man. Uh, besides, like, a lot of things changing in life, which my, I told my homeboy, uh, Mickey, about the other day. Um, just been continue, continuing to write, um, enjoying life, and we've had, and just enjoying these, this great music that we've had lately, along with these great words coming from some amazing writers. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I'll promote my own, you know, writing shit later, but since you mentioned it, let's talk about just do a quick sort of roundup. We only got two pieces today, so let's do a little, what we've been listening to roundup, Tyler, what, uh, has been striking you the most about what you've been listening to recently, either from the beginning of this year, some late last year stuff, even, or just anything in general. All right. All right. Um, for me, it's, I think everyone from in Central Sauce is still probably bumping Little Sims. No, thank you. It's for me. It's just I'm just going back to it every now and then. Um, I also it's as uh, something that happened in my life. I saw JID and Smino last night. Amazing show. Oh, shit. So that was so I've been bumping their discography like crazy. I mean crazy mm-hmm. lately. Um, and of course, these str- these string of new releases from Paramore. Um, this the, this is why album loved having my queen Haley Williams back. That was fantastic. Um, and also listening to Ray, uh, which Mickey put me onto, and I appreciate that album a lot. It was a surprise. It was personal. It was it was kind of sprawling because it kind of like, it it went so many different places. But um, yeah, those are the things I've been listening to. Nice, man. Yeah, I want to mention a few, too. I uh, definitely, and me and Charlie, who is our esteemed uh, podcast editor, we're just talking a little bit about the Kalela project, which just dropped. I really love the song Let It Go. It's one of my favorite songs that has dropped this year so far. It's a really sprawling, really interesting project. If you haven't listened to that, got to take a listen. Um, the project I really want to talk about, actually, though, is the one that I really cannot stop listening to, and I found out about it uh, this year, but it dropped last year. It's a project, um, called hypochondriac by this artist named Brakence, B-R-A-K-E-N-C-E. Uh, I believe he's from like rural Ohio. Um, 
and Mano Sunderinson, I believe that's how you pronounce your name, just interviewed him for NPR for his first like big interview, which is not one of the pieces we're bringing today. Um, but it gave a lot of really good insight um, into who he is as an artist. But he's sort of bubbling in the underground internet sphere and then sort of breaking out. I believe he signed to Columbia. So he's he's really out here. But it's this sort of crazy pop album that is... A lot of just has a lot of distortion and crazy production with it, but also fuses elements of like Jersey Club, but also um, like indie alt rock and an R&B and even like hip hop stuff. But it really feels like the first album that I've heard that sort of like represents this hyper online era that whether we like it or not we're sort of all living in and the dichotomies of like being hyper online and dealing with our own mental health and our own ego at the same time but the album actually sounds like that which is sort of insane so i really encourage everyone if you have a chance to go check out the Breakins album um and the last thing i want to mention is the wesley joseph uh, project that just dropped glow and i do that a little bit selfishly to sort of promote the profile i just dropped on wesley joseph um who's a really cool artist originally from walsall uh shout out the ends <laughs> in england <laughs> and uh and he's really cool alternative r&b alternative hip-hop artist who was also a filmmaker went to film school and i dropped uh, it was my first piece for alternative press it's a cool profile which uh I think at least <laughs> obviously it's covers sort of the color, how he thinks in colors and how that sort of is displayed on all of his projects, especially the one he just dropped. So check that out when you get a chance, um, just on some self promo Tyler, before we get into the episode today, is there anything of your own work, any poetry or anything else that you want to promote? Uh, yeah. So let me see. I had something recently drop in issue three growth of soul and space you can find the link to it on their Twitter, um, Soul in Space, or on my Instagram or Twitter, uh, which my Twitter being Taj the Poet ninety five, or my Instagram Taj dot the dot poet. Um, I have I have links to all of my poetry that's been published, um, and I have a few more things coming down the pipeline. You can just read my poetry all on there. Um, that's about it for me. That's that's about it for me. I, I have a few more things coming down the pipeline, but they're not out yet. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check that out from Tyler. And uh, without any further ado, let's get into the episode. I think this is going to be a really cool episode. I'm pretty excited to talk about it. The two pieces that we're bringing are two pieces um, that I've literally already talked about in however many group chats we have in the central sauce sphere. Um, but what's really cool about them is both pieces are lengthy, um, in-depth profiles um, written by prominent, really incredible women writers. Um, and they are quite literally um, the two best profiles that I've read in 2023 so far, even going back into most of 2022, to be totally honest with you, and probably just some of the most incredible and inspiring writing that I've read so far. So it, it feels like sort of we're in a sort of theme of two pieces that have a similar, a lot of similar elements to them, but also pieces that are really inspiring. So I'm excited to talk about them. Um, I will start off with mine, which was the first of these two that I read too. I think it came out a little bit before 
um, about an artist to, to, to be honest, I am not as, um, tapped into as many, many, many people around the world literally are. Um, but I feel so much more informed about this sort of enigma of an artist. And these are two artists that we're talking about that could be described as some version of their own enigma or enigmatic artists. Um, so this first piece that we're going to discuss is entitled the secret life house arrest and rebirth of young boy never broke again. And it was written by, uh, author writer, Megan Garvey for billboard. Um, I feel like I've actually been bringing a decent amount of billboard articles lately. So shout out billboard for having really serious editorial game as of late. Um, so obviously this is a profile of who I remember being first called NBA young boy, young boy, never broke again. YB all of the above. It's an incredibly extensive, expansive profile. I encourage every single person to read it. Uh, it is the first, uh, sort of big profile interview that he had done in quite some time. Uh, soon after, uh, rap radar podcast, shout out Elliot and B dot dropped a video interview with him, but this was sort of the first ball to drop, uh, of a full expansive profile. And, um, it really gets into the nitty gritty more than, you know, most things that I've really ever read. I can say for sure about an artist who is a real, (laughs) the epitome of a one of one. Um, the thing that, that stood out to me the most is uh, this article was written from Megan Garvey going to young boys now home as he is on house arrest in Utah, um, and sitting and having a conversation with him and through their conversation, sort of diving into who is young boy. Um, so what this piece really does is it feels like such a masterclass of really setting the scene, right? The piece is equal parts about young boy as it is about his environment, whether his environment be where he grew up in Baton Rouge, how he sort of maneuvered through the music industry and that environment to his environment in Utah. Um, and the way that she sets up this environment is super, super specific to set up other parts of the environment as the piece keeps going, uh, throughout. It's also the, the piece felt very film-like in the sense that the, the exposition of the piece and the sort of explanation of what was going on before we get into the core of the piece felt like it never really ended and sort of just flowed right into what became the full plot line of the piece. Uh, you couldn't really decipher between like, this is where the exposition is ending and this is where the action happens. It all sort of flowed into each other. So it sort of like lured you into the piece itself, which I thought was really cool. Um, I think the that Garvey, this is a big thing I want to say overarchingly, You could tell by the way she wrote this piece that she really felt a certain level of responsibility, if that makes sense. I think that can also be very much said for the second piece we're going to talk about today. But a responsibility to really dive into the reality and the storytelling of the humanity of someone who hasn't truly had their rounded story told to this level. Um... And as much to have like a real in-person experience with the humanity of someone while this is happening, because this person is such a separatist, um, especially now living in, you know, on house arrest in Utah, away from everything that sort of resembles the music industry or the space where he sort of built himself. Um, 
it felt like Garvey went, you know, way beyond just sort of telling the story. And it seemed way more like bringing light to the environment, which bred and now separately keeps this sort of one of one energy that young boy has. Um, I, as a sort of another overarching thing, there's very few pieces that I've ever read where the words on the page really felt, and I know this is, this seems like sort of a cliche thing to say, but it's not, especially when you read this, that the words on the page really put me where the writer was and where the artist was simultaneously, not just in like the imagery, but like even emotionally, which was really crazy. Um, and there's one section of the piece that like really stands out uh, where Garvey sort of captures young boy speaking about his grandmother, who is sort of his overarching mother figure and her passing to him sort of starting to have what feels like a little bit. And I don't want to totally characterize it as this, but it feels like in the way that she writes it, he starts to sort of convulse and shake a little bit as he starts talking. And she very carefully like breaks down how that's happening in real time. Um, and he has what feels sort of like a panic attack. Um, and then young boy's accountant slash sort of semi maternal figure, which she sort of sets up at the beginning where she talks about him, uh, her painting his nails sort of comes to calm him. But then in that sort of same sequence, we move from him talking about his grandmother, starting to have a panic attack to going, getting very philosophical about the meaning of life and even the afterlife. And it's this really chilling sequence that I, again, it, is the 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 imagery is some of the most film like writing I've ever read in a profile um, that really makes you feel like you're sitting on the couch while they're having the interview, um, and also again the little tidbits like her, seeing the uh, the accountant slash motherly sort of figure come and paint his nails earlier and sort of talk him through stuff sets up their relationship. So then when she comes into the scene at that moment you sort of understand the meaning of it all. Um, and so that 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 section to me feels very much like the core of the piece with so many other sections to talk about. Um, but I wanted to talk about this piece first in a sort of overarching way and talk about my favorite section of the piece first before we get into a more conversational element. Um, this is one of my longer intros in some time. We only have two pieces today, so I sort of indulged. Um, but I definitely want to open it up to you, Tyler, and ask just a pretty general question. I talked about the part that jumped out to me the most. Is there one of two things, either a general overarching thing that I haven't mentioned yet about the piece that you want to say, or was there a specific moment in the piece that stood out to you? Uh, I can kind of like address both of them. I'll probably ask you to remind me of the second question in a, um, in a minute, just because I'm probably Great. about to talk about this. Um, I, to, I gotcha. to one of your points that you made about the article about Garvey like have, have, having this re responsibility, right? I think mm -hmm. it's because, as I can also openly admit, I'm not to say like, not to say not a fan, but I'm not a fan of NBA Youngboy and the fact that I don't know much about his story. I really knew, I, the only thing I knew about NBA Youngboy is that my nephews listened to him, and my brother listened yeah. to him, and that he was this artist that seemed so big, but I didn't get it because it wasn't in front of me. Often, yeah. oftentimes, I think people have to realize, it, and, and something I've realized in the past few years is like, just because something, just because you aren't seeing something, doesn't mean that it does not exist and can't be big, right? You have this artist who's been living on YouTube and 
doing it differently than what the industry has even us as writers have kind of like been used to so when people say like oh nba young boy huge artist I'm like, what? <laughs> who, who is this? I really, I really don't understand. But then you look at the numbers and you're like, oh, wow, he's doing numbers. I still don't get, like, why? how have I not heard this? And so I think Garvey had that ball, that responsibility because, like, she understood how polarizing of a figure that he was. So if she's going to write about him, present him to us, like, in this, in, on Billboard, on the charts where he lived but no one's really known where he's from then it has to be done in this sprawling nature it has to like recap everything really give this full scope of a man of a human that who's I, once again i thought he was a little bit older than what he was because he seemed like he's been around but he's only 23 oh yeah he's only 23 three lives <laughs> yeah and but this profile even as as she said, it was like it's it's a, a man who's lived so many lives already. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's almost you can make it, as to your point of like being the, to have, almost having this very cinematic movie quality about it. Someone could literally make like take this interview, let me excuse me, this profile, and almost create a biopic from it because of how sprawling it is and how personal, how much, well, how many nuggets you get from it. Yeah, it's funny because Billboard also aligned, I should say this, aligned with the release of this article, did what feels like a little sort of short film of the experience of being in his house in Utah, too, that accompanied it, that has part equal parts of, of insight and sort of chillingness. I mean, it's also funny because it's just freezing there uh, of the sort of experience, which is really interesting. So, Tyler, thanks for saying that. Um, and similarly to you, I'm it's. Not that I like am unaware of Young Boy entirely, um, but I just don't proactively listen to his music. It doesn't connect with me personally, as <laughs> which is you know listen that's separate from the huge <laughs> fan base that he has. As Garvey sort of really displays, he was in 2022 the most streamed artist in the United States besides Drake and Taylor Swift, which is something that we have to acknowledge and understand. That's insane. Um, that's insane. Like the year of Bad you, Bunny, Beyonce, all those other artists. NBA Youngboy was the third most streamed artist of <laughs> yeah. last year in the U.S. Which is which is unreal. So, Tyler, you are talking specifically about her responsibility to readers like us, right? Who of like, I need to display who this person is and draw all this stuff out so you really understand the impact. Those of you who aren't really in full understanding of like really what Youngboy is doing out here, right? So she has that responsibility and covers it tenfold with with, you know, breakdowns of his influence and where he sits within the top echelon of musicians putting out music with like growing and expanding fan bases. Right. Yeah. But then she also you could tell. Oh, but super, super quick to like what's your point of like, yeah, this audience is supposed to be right. Besides me and you it's like once again, outside of this young audience that he has. Right. That obviously are the ones that are like really pushing streaming Give, uh, giving this man a platform and a voice it's for the people that do read billboard outside of the journalists like what is like yeah. what does billboard seem like it's like a little bit like anything like a pitchfork anything like a new york times a little snobby right they're like there's there <laughs> these people are trying to understand like how has this person broken our algorithm broken our algorithm yeah. like we've like spent times with radio 
charts, um, anal analytics, and everything, al algorithms. How has he broken this? And they're trying, and I yeah. think she's putting it out there for everyone uh, for, to understand. Absolutely. That. Yes, and then by the same token, she also, you can feel throughout the piece, her feeling of responsibility towards the impassioned young boy fans, right? She, like, caters to them directly, references them directly, how it's like a cult-like audience who, like, will jump on you if you are not, you know, they'll, they'll you know, defend their artist on the internet in all of the chat rooms to, to, to an unending level of proportion and also shows her responsibility to them in I'm going to display the inner workings of like young boys psyche and how everything feeds into one another in a way that no one's ever really heard or seen before. Um, so like those of you who are tapped into young boy on a day-to-day -day basis waiting for the next YouTube drop, I'm also going to make sure I take on the responsibility of giving you an under an even deeper, more personal understanding of the artist you love at the same time. I think both of those things are, are very well thought through, um, throughout the entirety, um, of this piece. Uh, so there's a, a few other topics we can talk about. Um, the first one that was really compelling to me and really interesting after we get into the, there's this like whole section of this exposition that builds up into this very, very personal story of a young boy, which sort of ends with that scene I described at the beginning. And there's this really sort of abrupt, but very well executed. And I honestly don't really have an understanding. So maybe if you understand why Tyler, but this really unexpected and abrupt transition into where I believe the first line of the next paragraph after that really intense scene is like, so you may be wondering, uh, what, how young boy sort of got into Mormonism as he was in Utah, which is just kind of like this funny, it almost like is like a breath of fresh air after like, oh, we're really getting into the depth of this. Um, but I thought that section was also super interesting to me. And it also made me think funny enough of this TikTok that I just saw, which basically said, and I'd never heard it just like said so boldly, but said that um, atheism is a white privilege. Um, <laughs> because it's this sort of thing where uh, young boy within, you know, she's displayed this like inner turmoil and depth that he's dealing with that, like, even with a separated existence entirely from everyone that he has a certain level of a craving for a faith, even though it's something totally foreign from the, uh, uh, you know, any level of the ideology, which may have existed probably back in Louisiana. To my understanding, there's not a big Mormonism push in Baton Rouge. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, but, <laughs> but I think she did a really interesting do job of sort of breaking down the Mormonism and why it was so, you know, impactful and, and healing for him um, as this sort of like, he went to Utah for healing but still needs a certain level of faith in the separation so like some idea of like a higher powered faith is something that he needs for himself but also the fact that mormonism is like separate from the ideologies he may have grown up with and he like sh uses the utah version of that can be something that's like empowered him in a certain way i thought was also really interesting did you take anything away from that section or any of the ideas i just mentioned tyler so i did i kind of like answer your question right it's um you were saying like why is that that uh why does that paragraph seem like so stark and like just like, it seems like an almost like a, a pivot stark stark but also like effective in this it is it is but it's so oh god so like you, there was actually a few things i wanted to answer as you we were talking um go ahead <clears throat> so it makes sense right like 
I don't know what it's like. So the, the, that last quote before, you know, is I don't know what it means to die. But do we all but do we actually die or do we go on to the real life? What if we're all just asleep right now? He wonders aloud as mm. he's shaking as the shaking dies down. It's a big test, I think. And I can connect that to the art to your other question as well about how there's atheism. And it's like I've never really thought about it in that regard. But, yeah, mm. I, I can say atheism is probably a to a certain degree white privilege as well. Because if you think about it, black people <laughs> or and people of color, period, right? Um, especially in the U.S., yeah. it's all, all we know from my, almost from the time we're born is a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering, and the idea and hope that there is something after this suffering, after this pain and fear, is. Mm-hmm lovely it is amazing it's it's even as i i consider myself um christian but more on the spiritual side and ideals and everything of that nature that there is something out there after all this crap so it's i uh, it's to because and because then if you look at the the, the white counterpart tradition uh, traditionally speaking or the idea is like someone white or of lighter skin tone whatever it may be is living a much more comfier life so what is, what is there a need to hope for and after you're living good you're living fine yeah. for them like at least the idea the idea right because obviously like everyone has their own struggles and everything of that nature but that goes into that so that transition right mormonism this this big <laughs> i'm I, I don't know much about mormonism except for certain mm-hmm. things through South Park and like a lot of jokes um, is, um, but it's supposed to be this collective more than any, more than a lot of like certain denominations of Christianity. It is a, it is a subsection of Christianity that is really about finding that faith, finding that, and, and that, and having that community base to it as well, more stronger and in a weird way than others. So to find himself in Mormon country to then and to this like wondering about death, that is the next step. Obviously, religion because uh, it's because okay. it's after cool. it's after it's after it was like after the suffering. What it was like, all right, so I'm, I'm so death. All right, I can uh, find peace and death through religion because like then is there something after that? Oh, uh, slick, nice, yeah. So you've explained the probably better of the thinking of Megan Garvey than I was able to interpret. And it's not really as abrupt of a transition as it felt like to me, uh, probably because my, of my own lack of religious context, which is sort of funny and <laughs> everything that we've said, uh, uh, super interesting. Um, Tyler, unless you have anything else, I, I just wanted to close on, on one sort of point, um, and, sort towards the end of the speech they sort of move from that space of the sort of one-on-one interview which seems like it's going on in the living room to out where he has uh, a, a few like snowmobile kind of things and they're out in the the snow with it i believe it's it's one of his collaborators and they he like he's like i'll give you five thousand dollars if you're like in your slides in a t-shirt you go make a snow angel and they sort of have this like childlike fun element um that also sort of weaves into uh, her talking about his his music that's leaning away from more of the you know uh, intense violent imagery towards music that doesn't talk about that as much because he feels a responsibility to make music that is more fun and less focused on that ideology. Um, but it, it still retains that thing that I talked about at the beginning is like this overarching um, 
expression of breaking down the environment that he's in and how that sort of separation and the the difference in temperature even and the difference in environment allows young boy to sort of exist in a more childlike existence than he previously had and i think that that's like a really important um note to sort of end the piece on that where he's at now really allows him um to sort of take back the the playfulness that he maybe wasn't granted in his sort of what you could characterize as his first existence. I think that's a, again, goes back to Garvey's feeling of responsibility to characterize that and end the piece on that note. Um, I thought that was really poignant to me. Any closing thoughts, Tyler? Yeah, it's actually, it's funny. That was also going to be my closing. No, like what you're saying was actually going to be my notes on, on like how it was closed. Um, yeah. Almost going, going back to like how, this how this how this article is written by Garvey and how the the audience that she's like merging together. I think by the end of this article, now that we've all had a greater understanding of Young Boy, that this him talking about the music he wants to make, where he wants to be, is for all of us. She ends it with that because by the, by the end of this, whether you're a hardcore NBA Young Boy fan or someone who's just now learning about him now, we now know what to expect from him in his future. Or at least what he wants us to expect, what he's, what the energy he's putting out there. This is the greatest literary form of tra- of a transition for an artist, as we go into his next chapter together, from fan to not fan to observer. This is where we'll see NBA YoungBoy now as a collective, or as or as the, what she's what's what the I guess the, I think the idea was to where we can all see him as and where he's going. I think that's a great note to end on tyler and uh why don't you just you know what's funny about this this next piece is i've actually i have two titles for it so i don't know which one you're gonna use uh because i i downloaded it into the pocket app for one and they showed a different title than the one that i looked at today so i'm interested to hear what title you're going to use for the piece and how you saw it and uh, i'm looking forward to the breakdown and the discussion so why don't you take it away with yours all right lovely so the to up to that upfront question, right? So the title I have through the New York Times app, because <laughs> I really want to read this thing. Um, SZA's ruination brought her everything by Daniel Smith, right? And which once again for our listeners, you know who Daniel Smith is. We've had we've interviewed her. We've done her uh, a previous sprawling, amazing piece on. Her relationship with the music of Sade, which she also connects into this article as well. By the way, um, it's you can tell that's a that's a hardcore Sade fan. But this profile was amazing. I'm, I'm making you can probably chime in soon. It's like I'm pretty sure this goes into the list of things that were like, damn, I wish I wrote that, or damn, I wish I <laughs> I could I could I could t- write this type of thing. Because it was amazing. And the fact that how... So first of all, it the way Danielle sets a scene, if we're going to stick with like, you know, like the cinematic parallels and everything of that nature, the way she sets a scene with those first like, what is it like three paragraphs is great. <laughs> it's great. I, it, it felt, it was so artistic 
and descri- it's like as a poet it made me very happy because it, it was it got into the description and it made me it made me be there both of these articles that we have today made us feel if one and oddly enough one is in a very cold environment one is in another very warm breezy environment in malibu and we set the stage for SZA, or as we know her for like this almost like you would say the first half of the article as Solana, which Mickey, I know you caught this, the intentionality to call to really refer to as so refer to her as Solana for like that up until the point where we meet like the like as the public meets SZA, right? Please tell, I know you got that right. Yes, I do. I have a quote that I will read shortly talking about that further. Keep going. Thank you. It's, um, so as, so with this article, we really get to see how SZA, as the, as the name Ruination, as the, the doubts in her life made her who she is and how she furthered, the, how, we, how she used that as to further her experience. And Danielle, whenever she, she uses SZA quotes sparing it's like they're not just like all just like in little chunks she uses them sparingly to like either inform us about something in this in this large history of black music or to further humanize solana but and by the time we get to the end of the article which which we're going to break down piece by piece anyway it's we get this full picture of almost like a shattered masterpiece. It's, 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 it's really great. It's like, it's like, it's like you break the, it's like you break the mirror at first to then like by the end, by the end of the article, all the pieces are back to where they're supposed to be. And we get this full, more clear picture than we had when we got before. Um, and Mickey, you can go ahead, bro. Cause like, it's, it's once again, I'm in awe of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same. Shout out Danielle. You're the the queen, the king of this shit. All of, all of the above. Um, yeah. So shit. So much to talk about. Also, just to, to mention at the top of my sort of talking about it, it is funny that in in sort of you know sort of fate like and cool that says literally mentions NBA young boys artistry in a pull right. quote at the top of the piece. Right. As someone <laughs> whose music we should characterize as more high art. So that's sort of, I, Tyler asked me what, uh, order we were going to do these pieces in. And I thought it was important to do young boy first and then mention that SZA mentions him second. So I'm glad we were able to do that. So let me go into the thing that Tyler sort of was like, Mickey, did you catch this? Um, absolutely caught that she used Solana before she used SZA. The thing that really stuck out to me is the sort of transition out of that. Um, and this paragraph, I actually have, and when I was first doing this podcast, I sort of stayed, a, I, I did a lot of like, let me read this quote. And I've sort of tried to stay away from it as of late, but I have two that I absolutely need to mention as we do the one today. And this is the first one, especially because Tyler said what he said, where we go really early on in that sort of transition from Solana to getting SZA, um, where Danielle sort of characterizes them against one another. And she says in this paragraph, the SZA I met is a close cousin of the self she imagines in her music bar. 
Her asymmetrical blues are steeped in yearning, anger, fleeting, bravado, loneliness, excess, unease. She is a bard of unruly relationships. SZA didn't grow up in a church choir, and she doesn't belt to the rafters. Instead, she sings and rap sings in a style that stretches and joins words so inventively that they become the music herself. Sorry, become the music itself. Um, and so I thought that was a really cool way to sort of bring it all together and characterize SZA against Solana as SZA is sort of um, a close cousin musical representation of who Solana is, or I almost characterized it as SZA is really like this specific section of the overarching feeling of who Solana is. And the two sort of paragraphs leading up to that are Solana sort of slash SZA sort of breaking down um, her anxieties that she's having about the album coming up and a lot of self-doubt that then sort of transitions into her father bringing flowers into the room and uh, her sort of coming to ease a little bit and centering herself and being like, I'm recognizing that behavior that I had and that anxiety as this thing that I've done the work on myself to realize and how like SZA on her musical level, kind of in a weird way, similar to young boy and, and how he talks about his music is really like when she's sort of going through the stress and anxiety of it, her like fully unloading that stuff into the music and that section of her going fully into the music um, so Danielle sort of picking up on that and using that transition of Solana to SZA to sort of express the differences and similarities between the two, I thought was really cool. So I'll start with that. What do you think about that, Tyler? Uh, it, <laughs> it, 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 so I, what I, where I was at when, when you said that, I was like, okay, For, first of all, it's, it's, it's so, so as I, for, first of all. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. I was also like choking. <laughs> SZA and Solana, this I think they were trying to like paint a dichotomy, which I think oh. we we see a lot, right? It's like I think we can even go back to as a reference to as you can all check out all of our all of our podcasts when we were covering the weekend article. I think from almost like I think exactly like a, almost a year ago, it was this thing of pitting the artist like the like I, the Art like the like SZA slash Weekend versus the person right and how we and how they we paint them and paint themselves and them trying to almost them trying to talk through who they are. I think Danielle uses that to help us kind of like see like how they are one and the same, but sometimes even though they mm -hmm. even they don't see it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I I. I think that that's really true. And I think um, sort of extending beyond that to um, Danielle sort of overarchingly seems to be continually going out to go throughout this piece, trying to answer the question of two questions, which is really who is SZA and in turn, who is Solana, but even more specifically, why is SZA? Um, which is, is sort of a big overarching thing, which is, you know, how does whatever happened to her in the context of her existence through that, then how does that channel into her music? And I think the most striking part of, of the piece to me is the section, if, hopefully everyone will be able to read this if they haven't, after they listen to this, 
um, where she talks about this scene as, as Danielle really gets to sort of go through her history with her in a more extensive way than we've seen before, um, where she's doing gymnastics in front of a crowd of people in her school gym and says it sort of breaks down how uh, when she was a kid, she rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So they were doing this gymnastics stuff and then she does this one move and half of the gym boos her because they don't really like her because they feel like she's too weird and this sort of thing. And then her response to that happening to her is she has this sort of secret sauce that she's kept from everyone, which is this ability to do a a sort of gymnastics flip trick, which I'm not going to remember. It's a backhand spring into a layout section, I believe is what it's called. It's very, she's never really even tried in front of people. Yeah, yeah. She's never really tried in front of people before. She gets booed by half the gym. And then uh, there's this back and forth between Danielle and SZA where she's like, you know, did you land it? Whatever. And she said, I did it. And she sort of flips into it. And that then Danielle does a really good job of sort of leaking that ideology into how she um, exists as an artist, period, which is that um, whole idea of... (laughs) you know, I'm really weird or whatever. And I'm sort of going out and searching for acceptance, which you hear throughout variations in different parts of her music, which Danielle sort of displays. But then like at the end of the day, if I'm like reaching out too far and you're still dissing me, then like, fuck you, I'm going to hit you with a double backflip on the shit and come out with some like SZA different bars stuff. That's going to elevate beyond anything that anyone else could do anyway. Um, So it's that sort. And then, of course, Danielle being who she is and why she's absolutely the right person to write the piece. She relates that to the sort of history of women artistry um, and uh, for multiple uh, different artists who do some version of sort of the same thing. Um, And the last thing I wanted to say about this sort of section is I was having a conversation with my brother the other day um, about a thing that he's reading, which talks about the necessity of artists to use their anger as fuel for their art, um, which is just something I had never thought about that way. So I think um, this was a sort of really interesting exploration of a healthy and positive way that artists can sort of channel that anger into sort of an an elevation of their perspective through their music um, to really reach listeners. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. And I, I agree. It's, I think, I think, uh, God, it's like now that your brother said that about the anger thing, it's like, yeah, that's interesting how, yeah. and how even and I think even audiences, um, we can both speak to this as artists, how people always almost like prey on artists' downfall so they can like get on, so they can like, oh yeah, this movie's about to slap. And at the next album or the next single is about to slap because they're about to be angry or sad or from like, or come or have, or make something from a negative place. I think that's, oh God, I think that's fascinating. Wow. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's displayed a lot throughout how, you know, SZA operates and sort of she channels a lot of her art through her own frustration, um, which connects to a lot of other people's sort of <laughs> frustration and then sort of carries her art to become this like, you know, big cultural moment. Both times she's dropped these big, you know, stark projects and control and SOS. And I think 
Danielle does like a really good job of highlighting that throughout. I think that's really, really amazing. And then I, the, the other part of that to kind of go into the next quote I wanted to say, if you'll allow me is oh, yeah, uh, please go ahead. Danielle does a really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Danielle does a really cool job of then semi out of nowhere, but not totally like instilling her first person voice into things, which oh, is really, really cool point. to see someone sort of be allowed to do that. So I'll say mine and then you go expand on it, Tyler, for sure. Um, which is really dope, really cool. And this also goes to a thing I wanted to say at the top of what I was saying, which is Tyler sort of jawing me a little bit, being like, I always bring pieces to the podcast of like things I wish I had wrote. I absolutely 1 million percent confirm. I'm glad I didn't write this and Danielle wrote this because of her perspective specifically. <laughs> um, so this is not one of those pieces. Uh, there's no way I could have done this any anywhere near close to what Danielle could because of specifically the sort of first person perspective that she has um, on her understanding of SZA's sort of growth and artistry. Um, and then this is my favorite section that she wrote from her sort of jolt into first person from, from the narrative of the piece. Uh, Danielle writes, no shots, no shade, no disrespect, but there's something so satisfying about the way SZA has emerged from the TDE Boys Club as its new flagship. It's like how Lil' Kim became the best-selling rapper to come out of the notorious B.I.G.'s Junior Mafia crew when the conventional money was all on Lil' Cease to, su to succeed Biggie. Or like in the early 1980s when Howard Hewitt was chosen by management as the breakout solo star of the R&B trio Shalimar, but Jody Watley surfaced as the one holding up a Best New Artist Grammy. Lauren Hill over Wyclef John and Praz Michelle of the Fugees will go down in history as one of the best to ever sing or rap a song. The woman artist so often brought in as much as trinket as talent has been right there, a diamond in the sexiest musical rough all along, which is really dope also because SZA and Lauren Hill, funny enough, went to the same high school, which she also mentions in the piece. Um, so yeah, so that's really Danielle fully in her bag, <laughs> just to be pretty blatant about it. That's really being able to like take the full context that she's developing over the course of the piece and take this little, it's almost feels like Shakespearean in a weird way where she sort of takes this like jolt out little aside speaking to the audience directly as the narrator and then just goes directly back into the piece of the narrative. Um, I don't know if she was thinking about it like that when she was writing it, um, but I thought that was really affecting to me and also goes into sort of her incredibly in-depth history of breaking down the, the context of women artistry, especially in hip hop and R&B and pop um, and the, the sort of historical cyclical um, way that that the industry sort of maneuvers and women maneuver within the industry to, to hold their true place. Um, so I thought that was really cool too. What did you have to say about that specific thing, Tyler? So I had, so what I was going to say was like, it, it's, it seems like whenever like, uh, it's like, it's, as you were saying, I was going to say this wonderful little aside, but I was going to even go to the analogy of like, it's, it, it's very, it's, I don't think it's very far and few in between where we get an, uh, a writer's almost real time thoughts Whenever we read yeah. a profile article, whatever it may be, um, it always it's always a very much so retrospect. It always seems like it's like, oh, this is what I've learned, and now here's what I'm telling you after like having this thing, um, this conversation, this lunch, this sprawling weekend with an artist. This seemed more like I'm reflecting and giving this open-minded thought 
during it. It, it almost feels like uh, this Danielle's like talking to you in this very moment. You're reading her inner thoughts as she's talking to SZA. It's and I think it keeps not only the reader engaged, it makes it it makes you engage with them because you're now having these you're now reacting to what she's saying as SZA is as well. It's like it's almost this three way back and forth between the reader, the writer and the artist that makes it very fascinating. Yeah, and she's kind of granted the possibility to do that because she wrote the piece from the experience of living as much as she possibly could within the sphere of SZA slash Solana for an extended period of time, which is like a few and far between thing that we see in modern day journalism that I kind of even remember talking to Danielle about when we interviewed her in her older days with Rolling Stone and being sent on these, like she would go almost in the, uh, what's the Kate Hudson movie, the journalism movie that I can't think of the name of off the top of my head, whatever that movie is like, called. I knew Kate where you go on the, <laughs> yeah, it's where you go on the tour with, with the, the actual artists and you actually follow them along the tour as you write this like expansive profile. Like this is the closest version of that, that I've really been able to read in a long time. Um, and this is sort of like the big closing thing I, I wanted to say uh, about this piece is I, I was fortunate enough to actually tell Dan Charnas, uh, who wrote Dilla Time recently, that reading Dilla Time made me not only realize that I could write a book, but that I actually maybe wanted to write a book at some point because of the way that he sort of displayed the ideas uh, of Jay Dilla along with his personal history and his musical history at the same time. And reading this piece sort of reinvigorated the idea in my mind that at some point, you know, when I put in something that can come even close to paralleling the work that Danielle's put in, that I want to have at some point an opportunity to really live within the sphere of an artist for an extended period of time and then be able to write a profile that incorporates some of my own perspective with uh, while being within their sphere along with their sort of history and psyche at the same time that there is still possibilities of doing that in journalism and that that should be something that should still remain my goal when it had sort of left my own psyche as something that was even a possibility. So uh, just wanted to thank Danielle on that note for the sort of inspiration to sort of keep the dream alive. Yeah, and it's always fun that whenever I read something by her, I'm always... I was like, I was like, yo, I need to real write something. It can be anything. I just, I, it's, I, it's, 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 it's very few times where I'm like, okay, I, where I'm reading something, and I'm like, it's more something I want to read it again, right? Because I'm like, oh, I want to, I was like, I want to find little nuggets that I found in the article I didn't find before, almost like reading a good book, right? It's yeah. Danielle makes you want to like write. She makes you want to get out your pen like immediately. And that's that's what at least that's what she does for me, man. She does she does that for me. And and I guess we say my last statements on this um on <clears throat> on this article as well is trying to remember is get whatever pieces you can of something and make it full. Make make it full. Don't just try to fill in the cracks. No, go ahead and let it shatter. Break apart what you thought of what it was before. And then put it back together so you can get a better picture of something. Because that's what I got of, of Solana slash SZA from this article. Mm-hmm. Right. Which that goes back to the title too, which you said is the one that you got, which is 
SZA's ruination brought her everything. Funny enough, I don't know, maybe they changed the title or I'm I'm geeked, but when I first downloaded it into the Pocket app, it had the title as SZA's View from the Top, but I think SZA's Ruination brought her everything is a much better title. Charlie is showing us in the chat right now that the the film, the Kate Hudson film that I was referencing is almost famous that I couldn't think of off the top of my head because I was thinking too much about the piece. <laughs> so yes, that's the one I meant. <laughs> um, thanks, Tyler, for breaking this down so thoroughly. Um I want to say I'm like, as far as like being inspired to write, I am equally inspired definitely by both of these pieces to like step my game up and actually be able to finesse my way into positions, uh, to be able to really dive in, in a respectful and responsible way. Like we talked about a lot for Megan Garvey, uh, into, uh, sort of enigmatic artists psyche that makes you've both inspired me to, to sort of reach new, uh, goals and abilities through this journalism shit to to try to you know put my foot in the ring and and put up something as substantial as you both have um super inspiring uh so just to break down the two pieces that we talked about again today to sort of close this out the piece that i brought is the secret life house arrest and rebirth of young boy never broke again it was written by megan garvey for billboard and tyler so graciously brought scissors ruination brought her everything by danielle smith for new york times magazine um, yeah, thank you so much everyone for, for listening today. Um, please, I'm telling you, you don't want to miss them. Go out and read these pieces. Don't just take what we said about them or our word for it. Go and check them out for yourselves. Uh, I want to say this cause we try to, at the end of each podcast, that if there are any, uh, writers for publications that are not you know like new york times mag and billboard bigger publications who are writing independently uh whether you got Substacks or any of those types of things but you have pieces that you feel really passionate about that you want more eyes on please feel free to dm me at least or us uh to check them out to possibly consider talking about them on the podcast we also like to um highlight up and coming independent writers from more independent platforms so we'd love to read those and, uh, yeah, um, really, really, uh, sort of in awe of these pieces and glad, uh, this podcast has given me the opportunity to, to talk about them today. Um, and I'd love to hear all, you know, hit us up in the comments for all of your thoughts about the pieces as well. Tyler, anything you want to close off with? Um, leave us a review. <laughs> Let me see. Share us. Uh, just, because let uh, you you guys supporting us helps us that support these writers, man, and which in then in turn supports these artists. So leave a review, share our, share our podcast, and we hope to hear you all again very soon, or hear from us again very soon. Absolutely, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great one. This episode of Research Source featured Nick Hellebeck and Tyler Jones of the Central Script Collective. The episode is edited by me, Charlie Taylor of the Fifth End Podcast Network. Music for the show is fucked up by Basti. Thanks to your music for the bit of use. This has been a Central Source Fifth End Podcast Network production. Thanks to Basti, your music, Central Source Fifth Element, and content coming to the episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time as we continue our search for Source.